Well, it's absolutely um, wonderful for me uh, to be here. I, I'm kind of still pinching myself that we are allowed to kind of gather as a local church. And, uh, and then to be able to gather like um, as a sort of network of churches. And then for me to be able to come and gather with another network of churches is just like mind-blowing. And uh, it's a particular, it, it really is an honour and a privilege to um, be asked by John and Debbie, great friends, we go back a, a long way. And I, I think there's something beautiful when sort of the HTB network and the Vineyard get together and all that. So thank you so much. I love being with you. I love um, worshipping with you, hearing that story from Falmouth and the church planting and um, your kind of crazy way of doing um, the Eucharist um, is amazing. So uh, thank you so much much uh, for having me. And uh, those of you online as well, um, hi, I'm Archie and it's great um, to meet you. I want to talk um, tonight about when God is amazed. When God is amazed. I came across a word, uh, I think a makeup word, um, a few weeks ago, and the word is permacrisis. And it stands basically for the last two or three years that we've been in, which has basically been a permanent sense of crisis. We had Brexit and then the pandemic and climate change and uh, the um, rising cost of fuel, rocketing um, cost of living, um, war in Europe. And there's this sense that we're lurching from one crisis to another. And it's amplified because of the way that it comes to us which is constant, immediate, and kind of increased for our engagement. Uh, somebody, um, I heard this morning actually, um, somebody used the word, it's like we're in World War 2.5. And uh, I've heard the apocalypse. And um, someone said that our smartphones have become like doomsday machines. And it's like we've been kind of hurled into this fast-flowing current and we're not quite sure where it's leading us. We haven't got armbands on and we've got no way of climbing out of it. And it, who knows where it's taking us? And then into all that, uh, we have the annual gathering of the vineyard leaders. <laughs> and online. Because if there was ever a moment for leadership in our nation and Christian leadership, I think it's now. Uh, I'm reminded when I meet people or see groups of people of what Jesus says when he saw a crowd and he talks about how they are helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And so this moment requires leadership, our leadership. And yet at the same time, I think we're in what I would call a, something of an anti-leadership moment. There seems to be an increasing deep distrust in leadership on all levels, institutionally, nationally. I was astonished to read recently that, because it was only two years ago that on Thursday nights we used to come out each week and clap the carers and applaud the NHS. And I heard just recently that the approval ratings for the NHS are now at an all-time low. And then if you think about the attacks in politicians, and, and, and so it, it, it seems to be an anti-leadership moment. And I think the church has not been immune from that either. 
Uh, there's a, on one hand, a kind of, I guess, a healthy scepticism, but it can become a kind of weary cynicism in, in the church as well. And for all of us who've been leading through this sort of perma-crisis in the room and online tonight, um, it's been a humbling experience. I feel that because some of the metrics that we used to use for trying to measure our impact are like being shot. (laughs) I mean, we're back, yeah, we're back in person, but we're back down in Brighton at about 60% of the number of people that we had in 2019 in the room. And um, I catch myself, because we used to have, on a Sunday morning, we used to have two main morning gatherings. And now we have one. And I catch myself, because people come and say, oh, and I find myself wanting to say, yeah, 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 but we, we used to have two. And, oh, and we've planted twice in the pandemic. And really what it's doing is it's, I suppose, it's covering up a, what can be a sense of insecurity or a sense that, am I enough? Can, can I lead in this challenging time of rebooting and rebuilding? So what I wanted to speak about tonight was about how we as leaders might recover our sense of confidence. And when John and Debbie uh, invited me to come and share, um, the word that I felt that God gave me for you was the word authority. That there's something I think that God wants us to recover. It's a bit like, um, I mean, the good news is it's nothing we actually lost or didn't have. It's a bit like when you lose your spectacles, but then you find them on the your forehead. They were there all the time. But oh yeah. And what you need to lead in this season, you already have it. It's in your possession. But maybe we need to rediscover it and re-engage with it. And I think that the enemy is trying to get us to shrink back in this season. I think the enemy is trying to get us to hide in the shadows. And there's some lies of the enemy that are saying, you you may not have what it takes for this next season. I feel like I'm here to remind you in the Lord that you have what it takes in the Lord. And there's a story uh, that you may well be familiar with in the New Testament in Luke uh, chapter 7. Let me read it for you. It's the story of the centurion's servant says this, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. And there a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly was ill and about to die. I read that, I think, gosh, there's ill. And then there's like, really ill. That one is like, um, really ill. And the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And so Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. 
I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. I love this story. Jesus has um, just finished the Sermon on the Mount and uh, he's walked to Capernaum. And uh, Capernaum is uh, something of a commercial centre. It's uh, where the fishing industry is. It's, um, where it's on the trade route. So the caravans that would come from Egypt towards Damascus and beyond would, would pass through Capernaum. And uh, when he's there, these Jewish leaders come to him and they say, you really must do something for this man because he, he, he deserves you a miracle. And so Jesus starts to go with them. And it, it's, it's an extraordinary story because remember, Capernaum was being occupied by the Romans at the time. So you wouldn't imagine that the Jewish leaders would be very enthusiastic about a Roman centurion. But there's obviously something really remarkable about this particular Roman centurion. I mean, he's, he's obviously very compassionate. He cares deeply. He says he highly values his servant. And again, in those days, servants were kind of synonymous with slaves. They were thought to be indispensable. But this centurion cares, very compassionate. He's obviously also very generous. I mean, what occupying force builds a religious temple for the natives, for the people that they're occupying? But he's built a synagogue. And so he's very caring, he's very generous, and, and he's humble. Because he says, you know, I, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. So he, this story is amazing because the centurion is amazing. It's also, I think, an amazing story because of the amazing miracle that Jesus does. He heals this servant at a distance. But that actually, those things are not actually what is most amazing about this story. What is most amazing about this story is that Jesus was amazed. Have you thought about that? I mean, I, I imagine it takes a lot for the Son of God to be amazed at anything. I mean, he's all-knowing, all-powerful. How can you possibly amaze the Son of God? But it says here that Jesus was amazed. And he says, I have not seen such great faith in all Israel. I mean, the zealots don't have it. The Pharisees don't have it. The crowds clearly don't have it. But this Roman Gentile centurion has faith and it amazes Jesus. And when Jesus is amazed, he does miracles. And this story, I think, for us is a story of what happens when you put together authority that we carry and ignite it with a bit of faith. Just say the word. You know, two years ago during the 
first lockdown. Uh, I was out doing my kind of morning or daily allowance of exercise, uh, walking along the seafront down there in, in Brighton. And as I was walking along, uh, two police officers came towards me in, in their uniform. And I don't know whether you're the same as me, but whenever I kind of see police officers in uniform, I, I don't know what it is about me. I just get a little bit twitchy. And so I'll start thinking, what am I doing? And then particularly two years ago, because I was thinking, like, is this a party? Um, <laughs> is, um, uh, is it, um, uh, am I in a gathering? <laughs> am I at work? <laughs> no. um, and um, so I was a bit, um, a bit nervous. And um, it got worse because when they came closer, one of them said, ah, Reverend Coates. I thought, well, not only is it, but he knows, what, but he knows I'm a reverend. What, what, who? But as I got closer, I realised that I knew him. Uh, he, um, he leads the worship uh, at our church. <laughs> Thing was, though, I, I'd only ever seen him um, in skinny jeans and letter twos. So I, I hadn't right kind of recognised him. I, I remembered actually he'd only just been taken on by um, the police force. It was almost like his first outing out. He was with a, a much more senior police officer with him. Um, but nevertheless, I thought, gosh, this guy's transformed. Because, you know, my eyes went first to the handcuffs that he had around his waist. And then he had this sort of pouch, which was the radio, which I imagine was linked to the, the, the police station John Street, just um, up where we live. And it's a huge police station. And uh, when you're there, that's linked to the law courts that are just by the police station in Brighton. And then I think there's a sort of steady traffic between there and Lewis Prison. And Lewis Prison is a network that's linked to Her Majesty's prison service all over the land. And then behind that, I imagine there's a sort of the whole justice system and um, Whitehall. And then behind that, there's um, the army. And then if all else fails, there's NATO. <laughs> so I looked at this guy who I'd only seen in skinny jeans and tattoos and leading worship, and I thought, my goodness, he is somebody with, with authority. Because look who's backing up his act. <laughs> do, do you realise, you, do you realise what you're carrying? Do you realise how things get done around here? Do you realise who's backing up you? Because two chapters after this, Jesus will send out the 12 and give them power and authority, his power, his authority. Three chapters after this, he'll send out the 72 and say, because the harvest is plentiful out there. And then at the end of the Gospels, he'll say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go. In other words, here I am, I'm giving you the uniform, I'm giving you authority, I'm delegating. And now Jesus sits in heaven, which is the control centre of the earth, don't forget. And there's a throne, Revelation 4 says that there's a throne in heaven and somebody sits on it and his name is Jesus. And Jesus sits on that throne and he's not biting his fingernails and he's not mocked and he's not... Fussed. In a sense, can I remind you that with everything that is going on in our world, nothing actually has changed. 
Jesus still sits on that throne. And Psalm 46 says that nations fall, but be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted in the nations, which I take to mean that Jesus will still be sitting on his throne long after Putin has been knocked off his. And you and I are leaders. You are called by God. And you have been given an assignment. Some of you here are called to step into leading church plants. Others of you maybe are here and you're going to be transitioning into positions of leadership within existing churches. I don't know. But all of you, all of us, God has put a gift and a passion and an authority in us. And when that authority in us is ignited by some faith, just say the word. God is amazed. And when God is amazed, he does miracles. But listen, this is the point. There are two parts to this. There's authority and there's faith. And the two, the point is, the two come together. You've got to, you've got to activate the authority that you carry with some faith. The, the, the gym that I go to sometimes <laughs> has this um, design, um, like a sign, but it's kind of, a, it's like a graphic that, that sits it's in big letters above the reception where you um, put your card to go in to this gym. And you know what the words say? They say, you've made it. <laughs> I think that's just such a stupid, stupid place. It's, it's like letters, like, you, if you're, where it says, it's, it's those big letters, like it says connect up there or drinks. It's like, you've made it. I think, it, there's no way that I've made it. Because I've been through that turnstile, tapped my card in, gone down to the cloakroom. And I promise you, there have been occasions where I've undressed, gone on my gym kit, put on my trainers and then gone, nah. <laughs> just, just not feeling it today. Because <laughs> you know that you haven't made it. They should put that on the outside after you've kind of, you know, pulled the rowing machine, activated the treadmill, that you've, you've taken your, your membership, your card, which got you in, your authority, and you've activated it with your faith. And it's the same in, in, in how things work with, with, with God. And you know, There are two places in the Gospels where we're told that Jesus is amazed. Uh, the word is some um, astonished. And Jesus is astounded. There's, there's two places. The first is this one where he is amazed at this Roman centurion's faith. The other occasion comes a bit earlier when he's in Nazareth. And there it's the same word. It's the other occasion where Jesus is amazed. But that time he's amazed at the people's lack of faith. 
And how sad is that? There's Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth, his hometown of all places. And there's such a spirit of kind of familiarity and unbelief there. Because they, and he's going, this is so sad. It's such a shame because they only see me here as Joseph's son. They, 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 They just see me as the carpenter. It's such a shame because um, there's such a kind of lack of expectation here. There's such a kind of um, unbelief and sense of sort of, well, familiarity. I, I, I really want to help them, but I can only drop a couple of miracles here um, because they, of their lack of expectation and unbelief. So I'm going to have to leave them and go on to Capernaum because at least they're hungry for me there. They're desperate for me there. You know, there are many reasons why the leaders gathered at the National Leaders Gathering of the Vineyard Movement might shrug their shoulders at Jesus. I mean, we maybe feel a bit weary from the pandemic in the last few years. Maybe our faith levels have been reduced and maybe we're just wondering whether we've got what it takes to go again. But Jesus always responds to expectation and to faith. He always responds to people who believe that he is the Son of God and that he can do something right here, right now, in this moment. And when you put authority with some faith together, God is amazed. And when God is amazed, he does miracles. As Rosie said, um, when she kindly introduced me, um, Sam, my wife and I and our family, we're we're in something of a transition right now. Because after 13 years in Brighton, we're preparing to move away from Brighton and back to London and HTB. And so, uh, as you might expect, um, uh, in these last sort of few months before we move in August, uh, the church seems to have fallen into a slight nostalgic sentimental mood and I've even become a little reflective and one of the questions I've noticed that people have begun to ask me in the last the last few weeks is um, Archie when you look back at the last 12-13 years in Brighton has it been like you expected because it's been like um, amazing hasn't it you know, we've come with a few people. Uh, God's led us to plant these eight churches. We've raised this money for building and other ministries and projects. We've trained up and sent out. I mean, is that what you expected when you moved 12 years ago? And when they asked me that, I, I, don't, I find myself saying, well, um, no and yes. Because no, I would never have imagined 12 years ago that God would have led us not only to be able to get the church going, but then to be able to plant within our city and in other places. I would never have imagined that God would bring these people and these resources and we'd be able to train up and send out. So so I sort of say no. And then I say yes, because I I believe in a, a God who can do anything, all things through people. See, when we first came. And what I've noticed, if I may pass it on, is that everybody's expression of 
of faith, if you like, it'll be different for each person. But in my experience, it's always small steps of faith that compound over time. When we started 12 years ago, on the very first week that we arrived in Brighton, I had a phone call from the police. Oh, the police again. And um, uh, I was asked to go down to the church because a young girl, a 24-year-old girl, uh, someone who lives on the streets, was found on the steps, front steps of our church. And when I arrived, I discovered that um, she had taken a heroin overdose and she'd, um, she died, she'd passed away. And it was just the very first week that we were there. And we felt kind of out of our depth as to what to do, but we talked to her key workers, her social workers, and also her family, her family based in Manchester. And we offered to open the church for a little Thanksgiving service for this woman, Mel. And so about a week later, about 30 people gathered. About half of them were from our little community that was just starting. And about half of them were her social workers, other friends from the street community, and one or two members of her family. We had a very informal kind of Thanksgiving little service. And then we went through to the hall. And I always remember that there was someone in our church community who'd made 40 cupcakes with the letter M for Mel on each one of them. And after we'd said goodbye to our guests and we had cleared up, we sat around, the sort of 15 of us, and we said to ourselves, you know, are we going to wait until the next member of the street community dies on our steps before we open the doors of this church for the street community? And we said, no way. And so the following Saturday, we opened the church again for a community meal. And we invited any of the homeless, any of the street community uh, to come and eat with us. And uh, we've been doing that each Saturday evening for the last 10, 12 years. And uh, what happened after we'd been doing it for about a year, about 100 would come and then about 40 or 50 of our community, we'd sit down together. And then we noticed that about a third of the ones who came were women. And they said, look, we find it a bit difficult coming sometimes, frankly, because of the men. Because out on the streets, some of the men control us. And we said, well, what we need is a safe haven for women. So on Thursdays, we opened the church again and we had just the women come. And we did their nails and they did craft and cut their hair and it's beautiful. And about a hundred women came. And then the men said, look, why should it just be the women? And so he said, OK, we'll open the doors on a Wednesday so the men can come. They didn't want to do their nails, but they wanted to, like, um, play music, we found. And they wanted to play pool and table tennis. So, and after each of these, Saturday, Wednesday, Thursday, we would have a little healing service. And now we have about 200 who come um, every week regularly. And then the pandemic came and we couldn't gather. So what we had to do was we had to go out onto the streets and into the hostels where they all lived. And we 
kind of partnered with some of the local restaurants in our city, like uh, Bill's and the Ivy and other places, and we took hot meals, thousands of them, week by week. We sort of turned our churches inside out. And so we visited 28 hostels every week where all these people who were coming to us, we now went to them and we gave them this kind of help during the pandemic. And then the pandemic ended. But the hostels said, look, we so like the relationship that we've got with you. The hostel managers were saying, how can we continue this? And so last summer, we got hold of a four-storey building about a stone's throw from us in central Brighton. And it's the Brighton Hope and Wellness Centre. And in that building, at um, a £40,000 a year lease, we run workshops for people. We have probation breakfasts. Key workers and social workers come and meet with their clients. And it's a beautiful space. Now, my point is this. When we came 10, 12 years ago, I would never have had faith for a hope and wellness centre of Brighton at £40,000 lease a year. But I didn't need to have faith for that. All I needed to have faith for was whether we could open the doors of the church on a Saturday and see if anybody wanted to come in. One of the people who came in, her name was Babs. And Babs was a notorious person in the street community. When we met her, she was in her late 40s. And she said that for half her life, over 20 years, at one time or another, she had been in jail. And she started coming to the Saturdays and then to the Thursdays. And then she went to a, a detox place and got clean off her drugs. And uh, after she went through the detox, she was put into a move-on house. And we just thought, she thought, this is going to be a disaster because she's going to be thrown straight back with the, her old people she used to run with. And that would be potentially not good for her health. So Sam, my wife and I said, look, we've got a spare room. Um, would you like to come and stay with us? So we were a bit nervous about that but she came and stayed. And she stayed with us for several years in the end. And during that time, she did Alpha and she had a most extraordinary conversion to Jesus Christ. And then a few years later, she then started running our winter night shelter for the 14 churches across the city, coordinating every night, putting up rough sleepers some of the people actually that she used to know. My point is, I didn't have faith that we would set up a 14 church winter night shelter across our city, but I didn't need faith for that. All I needed faith for was I wonder whether we've got a spare room. I wonder whether we should have her to stay. Then we started um, Alpha, and I remember when we started Alpha in the early days, we weren't quite sure whether anybody would come. So um, we took the cafe opposite, and we asked whether we could just pull a couple of tables together. And uh, we gathered, I remember that very first Alpha. Um, <laughs> I mean, the, the number of people you could count on the fingers of both my hands, like less than 10 people, and about eight or nine of them were people who they were kind of there to encourage me. They were already Christians. Um, but there was one. There was one person. His name was James, who was definitely not a Christian. And he, he, he came each week. And when it got to the week nine of Alpha, when we talked about healing, 
I had um, a word of knowledge that there was somebody who used to have eczema when they were little and it had gone, but recently the eczema had come back on their hands. And when I said this, this chap, James, said, that's me. I used to have eczema when I was younger. It's gone, but it's recently come back on my hands. And I said, could we pray for you? So we prayed for James and nothing happened. Like the eczema light just stayed. But next day, when he got up to go to work, he had a shower. And when he looked, came out of the shower, he looked at his hands and he realised that the eczema had gone. Fast forward, um, short, you know, long story short, uh, this summer, two months' time, uh, James has just finished his training. He's getting ordained into the Church of England as a reverend so that he can lead one of our church plants. Now, when... My, my point is this. Uh, I, when we came to Brighton, I didn't have faith that people would be coming out of us being trained up to lead church plants. But I didn't need to have faith for that. All I needed to have faith for is whether we might take the cafe opposite the church and pull a couple of tables together and invite someone to come and do Alpha. And, you know, when we'd been in Brighton for uh, a few years, uh, we were just trying to keep the church... Well, you know what it's like. You're in the same business, just trying to keep the thing open. But I do remember that every time our bishop, who I kind of reported to, every time I would see him at what event or something or other, I'd always say to him, yeah, if there's anything that we can help with, Bishop, you will let us know, won't you? And I said that to him every time I saw him for four years. After four years, he came to me and he said, do you remember every time I see you, you say, if there's anything that you think you could help with, let us know. Well, there's a church in Brighton where the priest has left after 30 years and we cannot find anyone who wants to take it on. Would you take it on? And I asked him where the church was in Brighton and then I could understand why no one had wanted to take it on. But I said, um, yes. So we did that one. It was on a, an estate called Whitehawk. And then um, the year after, he came to me again and said, you know, you used to say, <laughs> um, <laughs> if there's anything else that you can help with, just let us know. Uh, I said, yeah, 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 yeah. He said, well, because we've got a, there's a church in a town about 30 miles from Brighton along the coast and we can't find a priest to go there. Um, would you do that one? So I said, um, yeah. And then each year, we've now done, over the years, we've done eight of these but my point is this, when we came, I didn't have faith that we were going to do church planting. We were just like trying to keep the doors of our place open. But I didn't need faith for eight church plants. All I needed faith for was to say, when I saw the bishop, you will let us know if there's anything that we can do to help, won't you? Faith compounds in small steps. You know, the funny thing is, I, I would not, and anyone here who might know, I, I would not call myself a very courageous person. I, I'm actually quite a scaredy cat. I mean, I don't really like watching movies if they're rated more than 12. 
and I live by the sea, but I'm too scared to go in because it's awfully cold. <laughs> and please don't ever ask me to do karaoke or, or to dance. <laughs> but I have discovered that in just one or two areas, bringing a word, releasing somebody, planting a church, saying yes, God has given me extraordinary courage. And it'll be the same for you. It, it, everybody in this room, if you're out of all that God is doing through the vineyard movement of churches, there will be something, there'll be something that he's graced you with, courage to step out and do. And we see, when you take the authority that you've given and you ignite it with, uh, just say the word, a bit of faith, then God is amazed. And when God is amazed, he does miracles. Sometimes people ask me what, um, like what would be my advice for church planters. I say, find something in your community that is a problem. It's not that hard. And help make Jesus the answer to it. Well, what is it? Is it, I mean, is it refugees? Is it homelessness? Is it young people who just are completely lost? Is it the mental health epidemic? What, what, uh, what, what is it? J. John came to speak to our church planters in the HTB network um, earlier in the year. And we asked him this, what, what was his advice for church planters? And he said, when you plant a church, five afternoons a week, say Monday to Friday, head out for one hour each afternoon. Walk around your community praying and saying hello, greeting everybody that you happen across and see what God will do. I believe that this is our leadership moment. There's something that is going on in our nation right now, maybe in the wider world, and that God has given us this authority. And when you put it together with some faith, it'll ignite something special. In Luke 21, uh, Jesus talks about uncertain events happening in the world. He talks about nation rising against nation. He talks about perplexity and anguish and fearful events. And he says in Luke 21, when you begin to see these things, all this trouble happening, he says, stand up, lift up your heads, for your redemption is drawing near. In other words, when you begin to see things happening, uncertain events, trouble, be a brave church. This is not the moment to hunker down. It's not the moment to shrink in the shadows and wait for the storm to pass. But stand up, he says. Lift up your heads. And I think that that's something of a call for us. You know, God likely won't give you the five-step plan or the 10-year strategy. I, I, I haven't found particularly that he works in that way. But that's all right. I mean, the centurion, he didn't know quite how his servant was going to get healed. 
but he did know something of the who could do the healing. And your authority and your faith will grow the more you get to know the who, Jesus. The more, this seems to be the point of John 15, because uh, faith is a fruit that comes out of what you're rooted in. Um, faith comes from, from hearing and hearing through the word of God. So what you want to do, if you want to grow in authority and faith, is you want to get more firmly rooted in the soil of the word of God. You, you, you want to go deep into the word of God. You want to draw up those promises those, the, the, those characteristics that we see in the Word and you take them up through your veins and through your heart and then what's visible becomes your expression of faith. But all that started long, way, way down somewhere where deep in the soil you trusted the Word of God and His promises and in what He can do. And I have discovered that the kingdom of God is much more about devotion than it is about expertise. The secret of Jesus was the relationship that he had with his father. And the disciples saw this. And years later in Acts chapter 4, after they've healed a lame person, and people ask how they were able to do it. It was noted that it was because they had been with Jesus. The source of our authority is Jesus and it increases in his presence. So that's really what I wanted to say. That I think that Jesus is waiting to be amazed. I want a faith that amazes Jesus because when the authority that he's given us collides with our faith, the kingdom advances. You know, Noah, he had faith to build an ark even when he hadn't seen any rain yet. And Moses, he had faith to stretch out his staff over the Red Sea when the Egyptians were coming up from behind. And the Israelites had faith to walk around the walls of Jericho day after day. And Esther went into the king, even though she hadn't been summoned. And David took a slingshot and a few stones to try and kill a Philistine giant. Some of you feel like that. You think, I, I am totally under-equipped and under-tooled for what I need to do. I mean, how can I do that? And Caleb, he went to Joshua and he said, look, I'm 85 years old, but I'm not retiring because God promised me that mountain. I'm not going anywhere. And Mary, when the angel came to her and said, you're going to give birth, even though you're a virgin, she said, I am the Lord's servant. And may it be to me as you said. And the wise men, they had faith to follow a star. And Peter had faith 
to step out of the boat. The woman pushed through the crowd to touch Jesus' clothing. The centurion said, just say the word. The boy had five loaves and two fish to feed a crowd. Paul and Silas sang praises in the prison in Philippi. And Jesus hung on the cross while people scorned and scoffed and said, if you are the son of God, save yourself. Let me remind you, Noah saved his family from the flood. And the Red Sea did get parted. And the walls of Jericho came down. And David slew the giant. Caleb got his mountain. Esther saved her people from genocide. Mary gave birth to Jesus. The wise men worshipped the Messiah. Peter walked on water. The woman got healed. The centurion's servant was saved from death. The five loaves and two fish fed 5,000. Paul and Silas were set free and Jesus Christ rose from the dead. When, when God sees faith, God is amazed. And when God is amazed, he does miracles. May we stand if you're able. Thank you.